Section 26 of the Watergate Report, Volume 3. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Final Report of the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, Volume 3. Chapter 9. The Select Committee in Court. Roman 1. Overview of Litigation. More than most congressional committees in recent memory, the Select Committee, during its short lifespan, has been involved in various types of court proceedings. In total, the committee participated in over 60 different matters before the federal courts. These ranged from the routine, for example, obtaining writs of habeas corpus ad testificandum to secure the testimony of incarcerated witnesses, to the complex, for example, the committee's suit to obtain certain presidential tapes and materials, Senate Select Committee versus Nixon. The suit against the president was the only proceeding in which the committee and its members appeared as plaintiffs in the traditional sense. However, the committee was a successful applicant for orders allowing it to confer limited or use immunity on 29 potential witnesses, thereby permitting it to obtain their testimony notwithstanding their assertion of the privilege against self-incrimination. A table providing the names of individuals for whom court orders allowing the conference of immunity were obtained and other information relating to those orders is found in the appendix to the hearings of legal documents, hereinafter L.A. for legal appendix. The committee also successfully sought writs of habeas corpus ad testificandum on 22 occasions that allowed it to obtain the testimony of several federal prisoners. Because other congressional committees may want to apply for immunity orders and habeas writs in the future, the legal appendix contains representative pleadings and other papers filed to achieve these results. The committee also appeared as amicus curiae in four lawsuits including the litigation brought by the first special prosecutor to obtain presidential tapes and documents, Nixon v. Soraka, 487, Fed 2nd, 700, U.S. Court of Appeals, D.C. Circuit, 1973. And the committee was a defendant in eight suits brought to prohibit or alter its proceedings. All these actions against the committee failed. Four of the committee's litigative efforts are of particular importance. The Tapes case, Senate Select Committee v. Nixon, has already been mentioned and receives further discussion below. Also important are Application of the United States Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities. This matter involved an unsuccessful attempt by the first special prosecutor to have the court impose conditions, most importantly, a requirement that testimony be taken without television and radio coverage, on the grant of authority to the committee to confer limited immunity on John Dean and Jeb Magruder, who otherwise would have been excused from testifying upon the assertion of their privilege against self-incrimination. The district court's opinion in this matter, which totally rejected the notion that a court could condition the issuance of an immunity order on the acceptance of restrictions by a congressional body, is reprinted in the appendix. See also at 361 Fed Sup, 1270, National Citizens for Fairness to the Presidency, Inc., et al., v. Senate Select Committee, et al. In this case, the plaintiffs, who contended that the committee's public hearings had disrupted domestic tranquility to the public detriment, unsuccessfully attempted to block those public hearings. Richard Danner, et al., v. Senate Select Committee, et al. The Summa Corp., formerly Hughes Tool Corp., and certain of its employees failed in this lawsuit to prevent the taking of their testimony in executive or private session. 
these cases raised numerous fundamental questions concerning the role of congress in our system of government and particularly its relationship with the two other coordinate branches for example the right of congress to investigate criminal conduct the duty of congress to inform the public by publicizing its findings of executive misdeeds the power of congress to obtain information for its investigations from the executive branch by subpoena if necessary where a claim of executive privilege is raised the authority of the federal courts to entertain suits between congress and the executive the authority of congress to conduct its investigations in secret until it decides publicly to disclose its findings the right of congress to investigate criminal conduct against the claim that fair trials might be impaired the requirements of due process in regard to congressional hearings the scope of congressional immunity under the speech and debate clause of the constitution because these issues are explored in detail in the pleadings in these lawsuits they are not analyzed here rather we have included the major papers submitted in these litigations in the appendix to the hearings of legal documents while the committee's papers were often filed under considerable time pressures dictated by the exigencies of the moment they do present basic statements of congressional rights duties and prerogatives respecting the issues outlined above other legal documents of relevance besides those mentioned are also included in the appendix as its table of contents indicates some additional comments respecting senate select committee v nixon and danner v senate select committee are necessary because the committee's experiences in these cases give rise to several recommended reforms in the law that are outlined below one senate select committee v nixon to date the only recorded civil suit in history by the congress against the president for production of material relating to presidential communications was filed on august ninth nineteen seventy three shortly after the president dishonored two subpoenas issued to him on july twenty third nineteen seventy three which sought five specified tape recordings of presidential conversations and other white house documents and materials the existence of these tapes had been revealed to the public on july sixteenth nineteen seventy three through the testimony to the committee of alexander p butterfield a former deputy assistant to the president the committee issued its subpoenas and filed its suit against the president only after informal attempts to obtain tapes and other relevant material from the president had failed the committee chose this route to enforce its subpoenas because it appeared unseemly to attempt enforcement by initiating statutory contempt proceedings against the president c two u s c one ninety two or by employing the self-help measures at the senate's command see for example journey v mccracken two ninety four u s one twenty five nineteen thirty five on august twenty ninth nineteen seventy three the first day possible after the complaint was filed the committee submitted a motion for summary judgment requesting a declaratory judgment that its subpoenas were valid and should be honored as the record shows the committee sought expedition of this litigation at every stage however on october seventeenth nineteen seventy three the district court soraka chief justice dismissed this action for lack of jurisdiction meanwhile the special prosecutor's case for certain presidential tapes and documents was making its way through the courts special prosecutor cox was eventually successful in obtaining most of the material sought see nixon v soraka supra because his litigation was ancillary to a grand jury proceeding the special prosecutor was not troubled with questions of jurisdiction and other problems that attend civil litigation as was the select committee the committee appealed judge soraka's ruling on october nineteenth nineteen seventy three two days after appeal was noted senators irvin and baker at the president's behest met with the president and two of his counsel at the white house 
after that meeting it was suggested in the press that these senators had agreed to a compromise of the committee's lawsuit whereby the committee would forego its litigation in exchange for summaries of certain tapes that would be verified by senator john stennis the next day october twentieth the first special prosecutor was dismissed for not agreeing to the so-called stennis compromise and the attorney general elliot richardson and the deputy attorney general william ruckelshaus resigned the fact of the matter as reported to the court of appeals on october twenty third nineteen seventy three is that senators irvin and baker agreed to no such compromise while the president unilaterally offered certain materials to the committee there was not even a tentative commitment by its chairman and vice chairman that as a quid pro quo the suit would be withdrawn to the contrary it was clearly understood by senators irvin and baker that the committee in all events could pursue its lawsuit moreover these two senators understood that the president was offering the committee verbatim transcripts of the conversations at issue not mere summaries as it happened the stennis compromise never materialized and the suit continued the committee was and is of the view that judge soraka's jurisdictional ruling particularly in regard to the requirements of twenty eight u s c thirteen thirty one the basic federal question jurisdiction provision constitutes both a misstatement and a misapplication of existing law nevertheless while the case was on appeal senator irvin introduced and the congress soon passed a bill giving the district court jurisdiction over this and other cases brought by the select committee to enforce subpoenas issued by it to the executive branch the bill which was not vetoed by the president became public law ninety three one ninety on december nineteenth nineteen seventy three after the president failed to sign it within ten days of transmittal to him public law ninety three one ninety does not cover suits brought by other congressional bodies against the executive branch for production of information senator irvin initially on november second nineteen seventy three had introduced a more inclusive bill that would have provided jurisdiction for all suits to enforce congressional subpoenas issued to the president or other officers and employees of the executive branch by either house of congress any committee or subcommittee of either house or any joint committee of congress the bill that eventually became public law ninety three one ninety was substituted for this proposal the senate also on november seventh nineteen seventy three promulgated senate resolution one ninety four ninety third congress first session which affirmed that the select committee was authorized by the senate to subpoena and sue the president senate resolution one ninety four also declared it was the sense of the senate that the committee in subpoenaing and suing the president to obtain the information in question was acting with valid legislative purpose and seeking information vital to its legislative missions on january twenty fifth nineteen seventy four judge gazelle to whom the case had been reassigned upon remand declined to enforce the committee's subpoena that called for a number of unspecified documents and other materials on the grounds that it was too vague particularly in view of the stringent requirements established by nixon v soraka applicable where a claim of executive privilege is raised the same judge on february eighth nineteen seventy four while ruling for the committee on basic issues such as invalidity of the president's claims regarding executive privilege justiciability and relevance of the material sought under senate resolution sixty declined to enforce the committee's other subpoena for five specified tape recordings and dismissed the litigation without prejudice the court's ruling was grounded on its view that enforcing the subpoena and releasing the tapes to the committee might give potential defendants in the watergate trials the opportunity to contend with greater force that their trials had been irrevocably prejudiced by pretrial publicity between the date of the lower court's ruling and the issuance of the court of appeals opinion on may twenty third nineteen seventy four two highly significant events occurred first 
the house judiciary committee which was considering the president's impeachment received copies of the five tape recordings at issue in the select committee's suit second the president released to the public partial unauthenticated transcripts of these five conversations among others the court of appeals subsequently affirmed the lower court's ruling but not for the reasons posited by the district court the appellate court began by holding that presidential conversations are presumptively privileged and that this presumption can be defeated only by a strong showing of public need by the institution of government seeking access to the conversations a showing that the responsibilities of that institution cannot be reasonably fulfilled without access to records of the president's deliberations the court then stated particularly in light of events that have occurred since this litigation was begun and indeed since the district court issued its decision we find that the select committee has failed to make the requisite showing because the house judiciary committee possessed copies of the five recordings in issue the court held that the select committee's subpoena could not be sustained on the basis of a need to fulfill congress's informing and oversight functions and because partial transcripts of the five conversations involved had been partially released and it appeared that the impeachment findings of the house would in the near future be made public the court held that the committee had not shown that the matter sought was critical to its lawmaking functions it is clear therefore that the court's decision rested as the court observed on the peculiar circumstances of this case and should not necessarily prevent legislative committees in the future from obtaining materials relating to presidential communications moreover because of the unique factual context the court's opinion should have little relevance in the future respecting congressional efforts to achieve executive branch materials that do not concern presidential conversations or deliberations it is noteworthy in terms of the recommendations we present below that the attorney general filed an amicus curiae brief in the court of appeals opposing the committee's contentions a similar antagonism to the congressional position was in evidence in application of united states senate select committee where the special prosecutor opposed the committee's stand that the district court had no power to condition the grant of an immunity order. 2. We conclude this brief review by noting that Danner v. Select Committee, the litigation brought by the Summa Corporation and others to prescribe the taking of testimony in executive session, raised an important question respecting the right of the Senate under existing law to conduct sensitive investigations in private session. Section 190A-1B of Title II provides each hearing conducted by each standing select or special committee of the senate except the committee on appropriations shall be open to the public except when the committee determines that the testimony to be taken at that hearing may relate to a matter of national security may tend to reflect adversely on the character or reputation of the witness or any other individual or may divulge matters deemed confidential under other provisions of law or government regulations the committee respecting the investigation involved in the danner suit had no difficulty making the determination specified in the statute because the possibility of defamation and the revelation of national security matters was established but as discussed in more detail below there may come times when a senatorial committee would need to conduct its investigations in secret for other legitimate reasons roman two discussions and recommendations one the committee recommends that congress enact legislation giving the united states district court for the district of columbia jurisdiction over suits to enforce congressional subpoenas issued to members of the executive branch including the president this statute which would apply to all subpoenas issued by congressional bodies would replace the special statute passed for and limited to the select committee that is now codified as 28 u s c 1364 
the statute should provide that a congressional body has standing to sue in its own name and in the name of the united states and may employ counsel of its own choice in such a suit the statute should provide that suits brought to the enforce congressional subpoenas must be handled on an expedited basis by the courts the congress continually needs information from the executive branch to fulfill its critical oversight and informing functions a major lesson of watergate is the need for vigorous congressional oversight without the committee's hearings many of the salient facts respecting the watergate affair including the existence of the presidential tapes might never have surfaced moreover the supreme court has long stressed the vital importance of congress's role as the informer of the public of wrongdoing inefficiency and waste in the executive branch congress can often force production of information from the executive by use of political sanctions for example administration bills can be voted down appropriations denied nominations rejected but frequently these political devices are not available at times a congressman can obtain information like any other citizen under the freedom of information act but there are many limitations to that statute's applicability congress also has available to redress the refusal to comply with the subpoena its self-help powers or the statutory contempt procedures contained in two u s c one ninety two but these drastic remedies are often time-consuming and singularly inappropriate where high executive officials are involved the impeachment process is likewise a manifestly awkward vehicle by which to force executive production of evidence it thus seems appropriate to provide another remedy to congress to allow it promptly to enforce its subpoenas against the executive the ability to bring an expedited civil action to achieve a ruling on the validity and enforceability of congressional subpoenas the congress would not be forced to use this method of enforcing its subpoenas but it would be available if other remedies were not suitable moreover disputes between congress and the executive often involve constitutional questions that the federal courts as the ultimate interpreters of the constitution are well equipped to resolve two the select committee recommends that congress give careful consideration to the bill now before the senate senate twenty five sixty nine that would establish a congressional legal service and thus give congress a litigation arm that would allow it to protect its interest in court by its own counsel as the suit to obtain presidential materials and the litigation involving the dean magroder immunity orders demonstrate there are times when congress's interests diverge from those of the executive indeed in those two cases the two branches were pitted against each other and their immediate interests were largely conflicting in many instances where congressmen are parties to litigation they are represented by the department of justice but such an arrangement is obviously unacceptable where executive interests conflict with congressional interests the select committee which had a litigating staff was able to conduct its own lawsuits but many congressional committees not similarly staffed might find litigation activity difficult the establishment of a congressional legal service would provide congress a permanent litigation arm and thus meet this problem three the select committee recommends that congress amend two u s c one ninety a dash one b to allow a senatorial committee or its staff to take testimony and evidence in private session upon an express determination by the committee that the requirements of efficient production and investigation so require and that the investigation would be materially harmed if a regimen of confidentiality were not imposed the amended statute however should provide that testimony or evidence taken in confidence for these reasons should be released to the public as soon as the requirements of efficient investigation no longer demand confidentiality section one ninety a dash one b as it now stands does not fully meet the needs of an investigative committee especially one exploring sensitive or criminal matters while the general proposition that senatorial hearings should be public is sound it must be recognized that efficient 
investigatory techniques require that at times testimony and evidence be received in confidence such occasions may arise in circumstances not now covered by 2 usc 190a-1b which only provides for private hearings where defamation or the release of national security information might result or where confidentiality is required by federal law or regulation for example in many circumstances testimony and evidence should be taken in private to prevent leads from drying up or witnesses from disappearing or it might be necessary to withhold the testimony of one witness from a subsequent witness to avoid the tailoring of later testimony moreover in circumstances such as those experienced by the select committee where many hundreds of witnesses were interviewed in private throughout the nation both in executive session before a senator and in private staff interviews it is simply not efficient to require that all investigatory sessions be conducted in public section 190a-1b could justifiably be interpreted as not applying to informal staff interviews but in any event amendment of this section is necessary to allow the full utilization of efficient investigatory procedures because the general policy of open government reflected in the current section 190a-1b is salutary the amendment we propose would provide that the evidence taken in private sessions would be made public as soon as proper investigatory techniques no longer require that it be kept private. End of section 26.